your attention to the scriptures, and um, specifically, I'm going to take you to a couple real quick. Um, before I go there, I want you to understand that this morning's message, I need to give you a definition. It's a corollary message. Now, some of you may know what that means, but for most of you, in fact, I used the word, but I wanted to make sure I was using it correctly. So a corollary is a proposition, something that is being asserted that follows from and is often appended to a proposition or a fact or something that has already been proven. Okay? Now, typically, when I come to preach to you, I bring you something that I can prove to you, I can show to you from the Scriptures that it's already proven. It's explicit. Today, I want, to I want you to understand the Scriptures that I give to you. I'm going to take one step further. I'm going to take them outside of what Paul is explicitly saying in the book of Romans and the book of 2 Timothy, and I'm going to go one step further. And it's your job to discern whether, in fact, I have stretched this beyond. This is not what Paul has explicitly said, but I believe that it is implicit in what he has said. It is a corollary. It is a proposition that extends the next step beyond what has already been proven. Is everybody with me? Okay. And I want you to understand that because when I preach to you a sermon that is locked down and is proven, I don't give you any space. You're going to have to decide whether you bow to truth or you reject truth. This morning, I believe that I'm bringing you truth, but I want you to, in all honesty, be able to discern whether it is. It is a message that I believe that God has for some people here who you have judged yourself unacceptable to God. There is a place for messages of correction that compel us to repentance. But there is also a place for a begging of you to receive the mercy of God. And so that's this message this morning. Romans chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Paul, again, is dealing with something else before. I really don't even need this first sentence. No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? And by the way, the greatness and the mercy of God is seen in the fact that even though that question is a valid question, you and I still have the ability to argue with God. And we have biblical examples of people arguing with God and God receiving that. But Paul here is challenging. Who are you? What right, what standing, what credibility do you have, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? And then Paul gives us an image, as he is wont to do, when a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into. So if you missed Paul's understanding and what he's asking you when he says, how can the created think they have a right to contest the choices of the creator? He gives you the image of a human creator, one who takes a lump of clay and puts it on a wheel and forms vessels. And some of them receive the treatment, the preparation, and the formation that makes them a vessel 
of decoration, a vessel, as you're going to see in Timothy, of honor or of value. And others? Others will receive the treatment and the formation that produce the everyday tools of living, whether for garbage or for eating, whatever the common everyday function is. Doesn't the potter have the right to take the clay and make of it what he chooses? This is the challenge Paul presents to us. Do you have a right to question God on how he made you? Do you have a right to question God in what purpose he placed upon you? This is what Paul establishes. Now, in 2 Timothy, he picks up this same image, the same kind of thing. In verse number 20 of chapter 2, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. You see the same imagery. All our vessels, all our utensils, all our implements of living, but they're used differently. As the owner, or perhaps even the one who made them, chooses, chooses. So Paul is establishing here in these two passages, Paul is establishing that God has the right, because he's the creator, to make us as he sees fit. And this is a little more complicated for us because there are aspects of who we are that are not the way God intended them to be. Sin has attached itself to humanity, and therefore there are aspects of us that are the result of sin. But I would caution you to recognize that the only place to define sin from is Scripture. I do not particularly appreciate timid people. But I do not find that timidity is a sin. It may impact how you're used, but it seems to me that there's an awful lot of timid people that God made. And I don't think it's a product of sin. Why? Because I can't find scripture that tells me timidity. Now, fearfulness, yes. Fearfulness, God calls us away from fearfulness. But the timidity portion, well, let's just say if all were as fearless as me, the world would be an ongoing, never stopping, always cataclysmic battle. because I fear no one. So I'll get up in the grill in the face and whatever of anyone. That, that's how God made me. Now, can sin attach itself to that aspect of me? Absolutely it can, and that's where anger, and that's where lack of self-discipline, and that's where lack of wisdom can attach itself. But that basic premise of the willingness to get up in the face of anyone is how God made me. But he didn't make us all the same, did he? In fact, the contention is, is that not a single one of us is identical. We may share certain aspects, but we are. We may come from the same palette, but the picture that emerges is completely unique. 
There's nobody like you, Brian. Nobody. You may find people that have things in common with you, but nobody's like Brian. Brian's his own man. Nobody like you, Owen. Absolutely nobody. Even within families where you have the same environmental and genetic makeup flowing in, there's still uniqueness that occurs. We still, Regina and I sit and look at our children and go, my, where did they come from? And how are they so connected and yet different? And the older they get, the more that they're beginning to realize, I don't like anybody in this house. And then a few years later, they're going to come back around and like nobody else except who's in that house. As wisdom kicks in. So all of these dynamics of uniqueness. God chose to make you who you are. Paul establishes this. The corollary this morning that I want you to consider is this. How God chooses to use you is his business and nobody else's. And what we humans do in an attempt to be righteous, in an attempt to be just, in an attempt to be fair to one another, and frankly, in an attempt to gain control, we take God's instructions and we use them to try to tell God what to do. Anybody ever done that? I do. I try to tell God all the time. And there's even some preachers out there that'll tell you that you can use the word of God to tell God what to do. With all due respect to those godly men and women, good luck with that. The God that I know and the God that I read in the scriptures is a God who says, yes, I am consistent with myself, but I have not told you all about myself. You don't have the complete picture. You don't have all the pieces. And so there are times when you think I should act in the following manner and I act differently and I don't tell you why. And oh, by the way, I will not tell you why. I refuse. And this drives back to, in a corollary manner, this question of Paul. Do we, the creature, have a right to question the creator? And I don't think what Paul is dealing with here is whether we actually question him, but whether we think we have the right to question him. It's one thing to vent to God, and it's another thing to actually think you can tell God what to do. When you're dealing with a powerful person, venting is one thing, commanding is another. I think what Paul's dealing with here is not about venting. It's not really about the question. It says, do you think you have a right to interrogate God? Do you think you have a right to demand of God an answer? Even when you're right, you're going to get your ears boxed. Where was it? I, was it Friday night? Someplace that I heard that Job, Job asked, uh, God asked Job 60 questions. Was that, was that Brother Stan that said that or somebody? 
Somewhere I heard the, the succession of questions after Job questioned God. God questioned Job back. Question after question after question after question. I mean, it's 50, 60 questions in a row. God boxes his ears, then turns around and tells his friends, oh, by the way, I don't like you. You didn't handle your friend right, and I will not forgive you unless Job, who was right, asked me to forgive you. So I know that this God, A, can be questioned, but he also reserves the right to look at you and say, I don't answer you. You do not have the right to question me. You do not have the right to demand of me. I am the potter. I make the vessels how I choose. And the corollary is, is I use the vessels how I choose. I don't always use the pretty vessels to do pretty things. We have a beautiful piece of china. I don't think it's beautiful. I hated it from day one. But it was my wife's vision of china. And she was going to get a set of china, and this is what she picked. It's all white. It's boring. All right? This is my opinion. She still thinks it's beautiful to this day. Luckily, thankfully, thank you, Jesus, only one person bought us a seat. Was it two people? We have two plates? Oh, we have two. Yeah. Both the same size? Oh, I'll have to go home and break one. Um, <laughs> I hate this China. <laughs> Should have been a harbinger of the future, right? We weren't always going to see eye to eye. So two pieces. So two people bought us two plates of this China and nobody else. And I don't know why, I've never, I'm, now I'm suddenly in trouble here because I haven't asked her, should we go and fill out this whole thing or has she given up on it? You've, you've actually given up on it? You're not? Oh, you can't microwave it. Okay, so it's too nice. All right. So we have these two nice pieces of china and since we only have two pieces of nice china, guess where they reside and guess what we do with them? We don't treat them as fancy china. They don't sit in a cabinet. We don't preserve them. We use them for whatever we jolly well please. If we had a whole set in a china cabinet, that's not what would happen. The madam of the house would determine that they stay there. And some of you have nice china and you understand. It stays there. It only comes out on the special occasions. It only comes out in the most special times. It gets used the way Paul speaks of in 2 Timothy. That china is that nice. Even though I don't like its style, it's china. It's nice. It's expensive. It's worth something. But we have come to not value it that way. So we use it how we choose, because it's ours. You and I don't just have to understand that we can't question the creator in how he made us. We don't have a right. And again, I'm not talking about asking the question. I'm talking about demanding a change of behavior. We don't have a right to demand that the creator use us the way we think he should. Let me be very transparent with you. If this offends you, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be. If you think that I'm full of pride, pray for me. But I have asked myself over the last three to four years, God, what are you doing sending 
a PhD biblical scholar to teach in Africa. It is not that the Africans are not worthy of teaching, but somebody with much less training could teach and impact them. God, I spent a lot of years gaining a lot of knowledge. Why are you sending me to Africa? Now, I don't think God's mad that I've asked him. But do you think I've gotten an answer? Not at all. The sovereign one, the creator of the world, the one who made me, the one who blessed me, the one who has crafted my life has not answered me a single word. Because the master can use who he will. And he can use them however he will. Now my point is not about when you think you're worthy and he uses you in a way that doesn't match your worth. This morning there are some of you that have assessed yourself. And you, perhaps from the voice of humans, misunderstanding the sovereignty of God, you have deemed that you are not usable. Past choices. Sin, family history, circumstances of life. Things that have been both done to you and things that you have participated in. They have removed you. I'm here this morning with a simple message. Not only does God in his sovereignty have the right to make you however he chose to, he has a right to use you, not only in a way you think is below you, but in a way that you may think is above you. Romans chapter 9, just before the passage we've already read, in verse number 15, God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose. And I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. This morning I want to ask you a simple question. Can God use, or the reason I put reuse is because when we are children, maybe you grew up in the church or maybe you grew up around God and you had dreams and hopes of God using you. And life happened. Choices were made. Chips occurred. A crack. Your veneer wore off. Your paint chipped. And you see yourself as an old broken pot. You want to be used. You long to be used. You long to be valued. 
But on the flip side of me looking at God and saying, what are you doing sending me to Africa? Seems like you're sending me to something. You're wasting a whole lot of my talents. On the flip side, your assessment is God should set you aside and do nothing but throw garbage into you. If he uses you at all. Some of you think that God should just simply drop you and finish the cracking process and put you on the garbage heap. You and I do not have a right to dictate to God who he uses and how he uses them. I have a little saying I have said. God didn't get that memo. There are those within the ranks of Christianity that if I told you my entire story, would say you cannot be used the way you're being used. And I have gone to God many a time and said, God, how can this be? And on this question, he has answered me. My son, I get to choose who I use. No man, no set of men, no interpreters, no one gets to determine what I do. You see Jesus in the Gospels doing this. The Pharisees, the interpreters of the law, who he said when it comes to the interpretation of the law, they know what they're talking about. They constantly question him. How can you go and sit and eat with those sinners? How can you go and be in their presence? How can you go and be involved with that? And what do you find Jesus doing? Jesus just flat will not bend to their will. Now, some want to use this corollary to say, see, since God chooses to use, we need to not preach a high standard of holiness or righteousness. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture simply says that after we've preached it and as we seek to pursue it, God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. In other words, another little saying I have, don't be crawling up onto the throne of judgment. Your butt doesn't fit that seat. Preaching, proclaiming, calling people to the scriptures is one thing. Determining where they're going, determining how God's going to use them, determining what is happening in their hearts and their minds, that's a whole nother thing. And let me take it home to where the person I'm preaching to or the persons I'm preaching to, even I do not have a right to judge myself unusable. Now, why would I? <laughs> this is the part that gets a little sticky. Why would I judge myself unusable? Doesn't everybody but you want to be used of God? No. Because if you submit yourself to be used by God, he will use you how he chooses, not how you choose. 
So sometimes we are so psychologically scarred, we are so hurting that what we do is we preemptively remove ourselves. We go ahead and we'd rather have the pain of saying, I'm just cracked and unusable and just throw ourselves on the heat than to place ourselves in the hands of a master who takes you cracked, doesn't fix you and uses you anyway, but then uses you in ways you may not want to be used. And I'm not talking about using you in abuse. Why would the creator abuse us? He made us. And we humans, he made in his likeness and in his image. Who I'm preaching to this morning, your struggle, your wanting to take yourself out, is both because you cannot imagine that God can use you. But there's also a measure in which you know that if he uses you, you are not calling the shots. You're not the boss. I've never yet had a pot or a pan talk back to me. Never yet had a fork or a spoon tell me you're using me wrong. Rick, you've been in the kitchen a long time. Have you ever had any utensil talk back to you? If it did, I have a feeling you'd do something, you know, drastic to it. Now, I'm not telling you not to question God. I'm not here this morning to tell you that you cannot question God because God's a lot bigger than Rick and I. He, he's not real intimidated by us. It won't freak him out if you question him. But if you think your questioning changes the game, it doesn't. So in August, I'm getting on a plane and I'm flying back to Africa again for 30 days. It's hot in Africa. At least I'm going to Ghana for the first two weeks, so maybe I get to see something. Oh, yeah, great. I get to see all of the slave forts. That's going to be fun. I'm going to do it because I got to, but still. God, what's wrong with Hawaii? The Caribbean. I got lots of Caribbean folks in my church. Can't you send me to the Caribbean? South America even. Caleb's going to Paraguay. Why, why, why can't I go to Paraguay? Africa. Why? So you've been abused. And there's days that you can't control the tears as the pain overwhelms you. So you have an addiction problem. And no matter how many times you've tried to deal with it, it keeps rearing its head. You don't match up to the standards of righteousness that even you see in the scriptures, let alone what I see in the scriptures. How can God possibly use me?
I woke this morning to a question in my mind from God. Will they let me use them? You see, this is at the core. You're not going to be used unless you repent. But you're not going to repent unless you've answered this question. You can't be used without having been filled with his spirit or baptized in his name. That's scripture. That's established. That's the mechanism. But you're not going to be obedient to those things. You're not even going to try. If you've already determined, I'm too far gone. He can't use me. Why try to be holy? Whether in my mind or in my dress, in my mouth, in what I listen to and what I watch, why try to be holy? If I see myself as too broken, too cracked, too chipped, too marred to be used. And the pernicious little thing about it is that the devil plays with that in our hearts and our minds because he uses it to manipulate us not just to cause us to lose hope, but to also give us a reason that we feel better about not obeying the master, not seeking his, his forgiveness and repentance, not being obedient in baptism in his name, not seeking his spirit because I'm not up to it, I'm not worthy of it, not attempting to be holy and righteous even as we fall short. We're just going to give up. The devil doesn't care whether he gets you by pride or loss of hope. Either one causes you to exercise your choice to remove yourself from the master's hands to be used how he sees fit. This life only makes sense when the master is using us. You will find no meaning outside of that. So maybe you've never thought you were worthy. Virginia, if you'd come. Or maybe there was a time you thought, then life happened. Choices happened. Pain happened. Your innocence was taken. Your pot was cracked. Your veneer was worn off. Your paint became chipped. Sorry, Caleb, I forgot it was you. And you gave up hope. How could he possibly use this mess? Does he not know my temptations? Does he not know my addictions? And in an attempt to preach righteousness, which will continue to be preached, we humans, fallible preachers that we are, sometimes err on the side of emphasizing you must do this or you're in trouble. And I'm here to tell you that there is a God who has known sin from the day it first happened and has not stopped loving you from that day till now. God commended, he demonstrated his love for you while you were still a sinner. He died on that cross. He scorned the nakedness and the degradation of that cross for the hope that he saw in you. 
Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So can he use you? Can he reuse you? And oh, dear saint, yes. He will change everything about you when he uses you. That's the part you don't want. You're trying to navigate. You're trying to negotiate. I do too. I'm trying to quit. (laughs) Not quit serving him. Quit negotiating. Trying to quit controlling. I haven't succeeded, but I'm working on it. Trying to give up. If you want to be his disciple, he said, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's just another way of saying what I've said this morning. He's going to use you how he chooses. And humans, boy, they're going to try to tell you that they know how to tell God what to do. (laughs) I got news for you. God don't listen to humans. It's the other way around. Humans never got their creator badge. They don't get to tell the creator what to do. He doesn't follow their rules. He'll have mercy on whom he'll have mercy. He'll have compassion on whom he'll have compassion. And he will not answer to us for it. To this day, I do not know why God has mercy upon me. And I do not know why God has compassion upon me. Because if I told you my whole story, the vast majority of humans would say, there is no way God can be using you. And I know this. And I've gone to God multiple times and asked him, how can this be? (laughs) And he acts like a king. And the way he talks to me is he chuckles. And then he says, Steve, If you haven't got the point yet, I don't answer to humans. They answer to me. So some of you are right. You're broken. Some of you are right. You're really chipped. Some of you are right. You're really screwed up. Stop trying to fix all that. Whatever needs to be fixed, God will fix it. And whatever he leaves, he's left it because he wants to use it. That makes no sense. I know. He's a God that makes no sense. That's why he's God. He's an authority unto himself. And I believe because of the scripture's revelation that that authority is both good and just. Is both righteous and merciful. And I don't know how he does it. But this morning he sent me to tell somebody or somebody's here today that it's time to stop excusing yourself because you got problems. He's known you've had problems. He's known you were going to have problems before you were even conceived. And he still has chosen you. I'm done. This altar's open. Would you come and...